and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be talking to you guys about how the OKC Blue have kicked off the calendar year in addition to the Oklahoma City Thunder. A lot of movement has been happening between these two rosters so I really want to keep you guys posted on those and obviously keep you up to date to the big time performances we have seen with the OKC Thunder and really what I believe has made them such a a better team from this season compared to last. Getting into things with the Oklahoma City Blue, I have not touched up on them in a while, but I think it's important to. You know, some people ask me, why am I so big into the G League? Why does it matter? It matters a lot. You know, a lot of different players from the G League are able to make an impact at the NBA level. It's not just the players. It's people working within these organizations that can make an impact at the NBA level. And there are lots of amazing stories that come out of the G League. I know a couple episodes ago, I talked to you guys about Michael Kidd Gilchrist and the contributions he has been making post-retirement. And he's become an advocate for speech therapy and stuttering. So he's going around college campuses and kind of... Um, advocating for that and letting people know uh, about these types of things. So it's a great story there. And there's a lot of different great stories coming out of the G League as well, like I mentioned. Uh, And now going to uh, the team as a whole, I mean, they're able to make those impacts to where they get call-ups. There's been 19 different call-ups this year. And with 10-day contracts now on the table, we're going to see a lot more of those come through. But just keeping you guys up to date They did not make the Winter Showcase Cup tournament last season. They were the runner-up. They ended up losing in a hard-fought battle against the Delaware Bluecoats. And they had um, what was the organization's last nationally televised game. It was an ESPN2 game where they played the Motor City Crews. And that actually broke because of the latest game, the Thunder going up against the Heat on TNT. But that's a cool little tidbit there. Anyways, they did not get a bid in there. They were not a top eight team in the Winter Showcase Cup play. So they had just two games. They got to play against the Lakeland Magic up against Xavier Simpson, who has dominated this year. Won that game handedly and then lost by one point against the Fort Wayne Mad Ants. Terry Taylor had 46 points. Trey Mann, though, was an absolute stud. All Winter Showcase team averaging 37.5 points, dropping 40 in that last one against the Mad Ants, and he really needed that at the time. You know, I think that sometimes you can almost overdo assignments, but this one made sense. He was on the depth chart as a six-man to begin the year. SGA, he's doing his thing. Jalen Williams and Lou Dort doing theirs as well. Off the bench, though, in December, Isaiah Joe was really turning things on, and it put it in a weird situation where... Uh, You know, you had Trey Mann who was on a bit of a cold spell and Joe kind of having a historic rise. How are you going to be able to balance between those two? If it was an extended G League pit stop, I think I would have a problem, but it was only two games for Mann. He was down with the blue for all of about five days and he made a splash. He got his confidence back. And as you guys have seen in like the new year, I mean, he has been fairly unstoppable. You know, he has gotten into that microwave scoring that we saw in his rookie season uh, and flashes but now he's really asserted himself and I think you were starting to see that four guard lineup kind of come into fruition where you have SGA, J-Dub, 
And then off the bench, Trey Mann and Isaiah Joe, two guys who can dominate on or off the ball and are just lethal scorers. That archetype has become so valuable in the NBA. We're seeing it with other guys as well. Bones Highland is a good example. Cam Thomas with the Brooklyn Nets is another good one. Just if you have that guy that can put up 10 points in four minutes from the perimeter, you have a very special potential unit there your ceiling is going to be raised just from that offensive perspective but anyways he was the one who really stole the show there but he was not with the team to begin the 2023 calendar year roster shakeups moving him back up to the OKC Thunder so far in the regular season they are three and five and they started two and one and then they lost four consecutive games they just got back into the win column defeating the G League Ignite yesterday And that was a must-win game for them. They were really close to a bunch of different victories uh, in, you know, their four-game losing streak. They just could never close things out in the final moments. And the Ignite gave them a really good test, actually, because the Blue had a 17-point lead early into this game. Jaden Shackelford could not miss a shot. Anything he looked at was going in for him. 28 points in the first half, which I don't have half records for the OKC Blue slash Tulsa 66ers, but I'd have to imagine he's top five in that category, if not top three, two, or even one, because that was a historic half that he had. But the Ignite clawed back to the point where, you know, they had the lead in the second half, and it took a really big push at the end. Everybody had their hands on deck to get the win, and Noah Starkey, who was acquired by the team back in November, waived, acquired by another team, waived, and brought back and forth between the blue. He comes in and has 21 points, including the game-sealing three-pointer from the left corner. Not going to lie, I don't think I've seen Starkey make a three before, so that was a very impressive shot. Just have that confidence in the big moment uh, when it was very much needed was a stamp on what was an excellent game. Scoot Henderson went 5 of 15 in this one, and Leonard Miller... He has been on a hot streak for them. He ended up having himself a night as well, but it hasn't been like games past against the Ignite where there is a clear-cut issue that gets exploited. The OKC Blue were on top of this game from the get-go. They clearly had the game plan from Cam Woods kind of etched into stone, and that's why they are able to come up with such a big-time victory. But I really want to look into the overall situations coming from some of the players, and if there are any NBA opportunities on the table for them. And we're going to start out with DJ Wilson. And DJ has been on the cusp of a 10-day deal, I believe, the entirety of this season. Last year, the Toronto Raptors signed him to not one, not two, but three separate 10-day contracts. And he played his heart out in all of them. He put up big-time numbers on great efficiency. And then he got injured. To where his season was over, he was reacquired by the OKC Blue, but he didn't touch the court again. His season ended in a Toronto Raptors jersey. And the question was, what's the next step for him? Because had he completed that 10-day contract, there was an ultimatum to be made. The Toronto Raptors would have had to sign him for the remainder of the season. And it looked like that would have been what they did. Um, But with the injury, you know, that was kind of scratched off there. But they brought him back in the summer. He got a partially guaranteed contract, six figures in that partial guarantee, and was one of the final cuts of that group. So 
comes back to the OKC Blue, which has, was a surprise to many, and he has been just as effective. I think the difference this year is with Jalen Williams in that starting center position. The game plan has changed when he's been on assignment. Now, with all these injuries at the main group, we haven't seen Jalen Williams in a blue jersey in a couple weeks now, and that means Wilson has been at the forefront of this offense, but they used to game plan with him being that number one option, throwing entry passes at the free throw line, let him shoot free throw line jumpers or try to go inside and body you in the post. That doesn't happen as often now, but I think his role has adjusted more to what an NBA team is going to want because... Let's be realistic. If DJ Wilson gets a 10-day contract right now, he's going to be in there for rebounding purposes, setting screens, and potentially pick-and-pop shots. It's not going to be bully ball around the basket, which is what we saw a lot last year from him. So it's good to see that improvement there uh, to where they're kind of utilizing him more like he would be at the next level yet again. But he just injured his finger against Mexico City in Mexico City. Very close game. It looked like in the final possession, maybe his finger must have hit up against the backboard. We never got any clarification on that, uh, but he was not in their last couple of games, and he was sitting on the bench in their game against the G League Ignite in Nevada. So he is still with the team right now. He's just not active with them, but he's still been dominant when he stepped on the court. In the regular season, he's averaging 19.4 points, 8.8 rebounds, and 4 assists. I was able to watch him against the Rio Grande Valley Vipers a couple weeks ago, and he was by far the best player on that court. And he did not touch the ball really at all. The usage rate was not that high on him, but he was still effective. He neared a triple-double in this game, basically setting screens at the top of the key and just waiting. He didn't have the ball where he was taking ISO possessions, playing bully ball, going for post fadeaways. He was just taking what the defense gave him. He was popping it on top of the key triples, doing very good from that range. And there were a few plays where he had an open top of the key triple. Keep in mind, he has the hot hand here, but he just rifled passes inside to cutters. That is something you don't see a lot from G League players, especially front court G League players. So when I saw him consistently doing that, I was very impressed. They ended up winning that game against the Vipers. Lindy Waters closed that out with a big time three and he had 30 points in that game. That was the season high for the group to be broken by Shackelford yesterday, but that was a big time effort from him. And DJ has had attention from multiple different teams. Yes, he was with the Toronto Raptors in Summer League, but he was also in other different workouts as well. I remember the Los Angeles Lakers were in that mix over the summer. So when he gets fully healthy, you're going to start to see 10 days come more and more. Um, And for the Thunder, they could actually get a hardship exception. They could have done this two weeks ago. They haven't pulled the trigger on it. But DJ Wilson would actually fill that front court need pretty well. He's been in the system for two years and was even on the preseason roster, uh, not this season, but last season until being their final cut. So he is ingrained in this system. It has been said time and time again that representatives from the Thunder and Blue are basically in unison. They're kind of checking both teams out, scouting them out to where these Thunder guys are, are at least inside 
are pretty familiar with Wilson's game and how he'd be able to transition over to the NBA level if he were to get that 10-day deal. Ultimately, he needs to heal up on that finger injury, so I'm wishing the best for him. But that's where he has been. He has still looked like an NBA-caliber player. And I know this is outside of Bricktown, but the Toronto Raptors just released Justin Champagne. He was on a partial guarantee that was becoming fully guaranteed. So he was released, and they have 14 roster spots. They're going to be filtering in 10-day players, I'm assuming, for the next couple of weeks. Currently, they have one signed, but... Wilson, if the stars realign, could return to the Raptors. That'd be a really good situation for him. And, you know, as much as you want to root for guys to stay in-house, they're in the G League. They want to get to the NBA level. I think the best way to root for them is hoping they get to the NBA ranks and are able to find an NBA home yet again. So if Wilson goes to the Raptors or any of the other 29 organizations, I'm going to be elated. I'm going to be very happy to see that for him. Outside of that, Ryan Woolrich has been dominant for this blue squad. And if you have been a longtime listener or a longtime follower of the OKC Blue, Ryan Woolridge is not a new name. He has been dominant for this OKC Blue team in stints. But he didn't play for the team last year. And you really only got to see the greatness of what his game is in the closing moments of the 2020 to 21 bubble this is when Moses Brown and Omer Yurt 7 were just running the table it looked like they were going to win the championship and then they ended up losing I think they went from 7 and 1 to 8 and 7 so they lost six of their last seven games regardless Woolridge really showed his ability to drive inside in those final games lots of posterizing dunks lots of penetrations but because he was playing in a bench role you didn't see it enough And in the regular 15-game winter showcase round robin, you didn't see much of Woolridge anyways either because guys were on assignment and you have guards such as Abdul Gaddy and Jemias Ramsey that are absorbing those minutes. With Ramsey injured, Woolridge has had to step up to a six-man role. He's averaging about 26, 27 minutes right now, and he's been great for them. He's averaging 12.9 points, 5.4 rebounds, 3.1 assists, and 1.5 steals per game. And once again, at this Rio Grande game, you have the coaches yelling to the other side of the court, he's a slasher, he's a slasher. What happens? He slashes the basket and picks up two points off a layup. I mean, he is ridiculous when it comes to just accelerating and getting right to the basket. His free throw numbers have improved big time. You have to remember in the G League that you're taking one shot for however many points it is so if you get fouled at the rack you're taking one free throw for two shots if you get fouled from three one shot for three points unless it's the final two minutes of the fourth quarter he's not really closing out games so he's taking one shot for two points a lot of times he's been able to find success there and he has been really that spark plug off the bench that they have needed a lot In the starting unit, Jaden Shackelford is the one who has been moved from a bench position to the starting group, and he has got some comparisons to Rob Edwards from the last two seasons. And Rob Edwards was just a shot creator for this blue team. He's with the Wisconsin Herd now, playing in a similar role, but what he does a lot is he'll get a rebound in transition, and he's looking to get a three-point shot on the other end immediately. Five, six seconds in the shot clock. Edwards is rising for a three-pointer. If it goes in, 
genius move. If not, you're thinking, wow, why on earth would you take that low percentage? Just started the shot clock, but he made it a good a good portion. So I think he got the pass on it. Shackelford is a lot like this, where he's a little bit undersized. Shackelford's 6'2", and he just has a knack for scoring the basketball. Played at Alabama was a lethal scorer for them. And he's kind of been moved more to a shooting guard position with the OKC Blue. And it's worked well. He just came off that 34-point game as I talked about. He was on track to break the franchise record had he stayed on par with 28 points in that first half. I think there's been a couple times we've seen a 50-point game in Blue slash 66ers history. But not in a very long time. The last great performance that I remember is when Justin Patton put up 45 points. And that must have been four or five years ago. It has been a good while since we've seen a 40 piece. And he neared it. He didn't play much in the third quarter. Fourth quarter came along and it was clear they wanted anybody except for Shackelford to shoot the basketball. Absolute masterclass he put on against the Ignite. And he ended up having eight threes of his 10 made baskets. Now I did some research on this and it took me multiple looks through some media guides because when you get into the OKC blue era, you don't see a lot of Tulsa 66ers on there, but I found it. (laughs) So he has become the sixth player in history between the franchise to record eight or more threes in a game. The only player to have nine is Markel Brown Oklahoma State legend, Brooklyn Nets legend. Hopefully, um, you know, he's able he was able to continue success. I know he played in Russia after his stint in the NBA. Very, very good player though. Anyways, Shackelford joined Markel Brown, Bryce Alford, Andy Rottens, Moses Mbahe, and Marcus Vinicius in having eight or more threes. And the only ones from the blue era are Brown and Alford. So he Got himself in a pretty exclusive group. In the G League, guys put up shots in a jiffy. So you may look at eight three-point shots and be like, well, maybe that's not so special. That's not so exclusive. It most definitely is because there are times where guys are shooting 15 plus threes in a game and they're not able to bury eight. For Shackelford to do it on eight of 13 shooting, wild, wild stuff. So he has got himself in a situation where he's going to be getting ample minutes for the near future, even when Jamias Ramsey comes back, he's going to be what I believe is at least a 26-plus minute role, kind of where where Ryan Rollridge is right now. Uh, but he's on a big-time hot streak, so he's looking to continue that. And that's what this group needs. They need some scoring from distance. There are a lot of guys that give steady production. Abdul Gaddy, amazing passer. Scotty Hobson, he's a three-level scorer. He can really do it all, uh, and he can even erupt for his own 30-point games if he would like, but with no DJ, no Ramsey, you need to find that bucket getter. Shackelford is that number one shot creator on this team right now. Olivier Saar is back on the team, and Clemente um, got to it. He, He tweeted about it, I know the organization tweeted about it. He ended up playing earlier this week. He did not play in the latest game against the Ignite, although he was on the bench. Very exciting stuff because Olivier Saar looked to be 
the OKC Blues' next prodigy coming from the G League level. And they've done this before, where they have a two-way signee that turns into the guy, really. Players such as Aaron Wiggins or Moses Brown, for example, in the in the last couple of seasons, or Lou Dort. That's a great one. But from an Exhibit 10 contract to this level of play, you don't see it as often. We got it with Omer Yurt 7 in the G League bubble. And Olivier Saar looked to be that last year. Climbed into a two-way contract in February. Held on to it until the very end of the season, which came to a surprise to many. Why would you get rid of Olivier Saar for Melvin Frazier Jr. with two games left in the year? Ultimately, it was because Frazier was going to be on a 10-day deal back in January. He had COVID, so he was wiped. Xavier Simpson was wiped, and that's why they got re-signed to close the year out, kind of just making things right. But with Saar, it seemed like he could be a long-term kind of bench guy that you could fill out, or at least a temporary one. Slap a multi-year contract with a bunch of different team options. We've seen this time and time again. It happened to Moses Brown, actually, whenever they upgraded his contract. They didn't give him one. Portland got him on a two-way deal, and he had a wrist injury where ultimately he got waived a couple months back because he was just inactive. And Portland does not have a G League affiliate, which is very crazy to think about. Them and the Suns, uh, even though the Suns used to have one, are in search of G League franchises. But Saar made a big-time impact for this Blue squad. One of my favorite moments that I can recall watching basketball was when he actually tore down the rim. He folded it against the Santa Cruz Warriors last January. And if he does it again, I mean, who else else has done that? Maybe Daryl Dawkins or something like that? So, very cool stuff, um, what he was able to do. But... Just a double-double machine at the G League level. With the OKC Thunder, even, he was productive. Seven points per game, four rebounds, 40% from distance as well. Everything that you needed. So now he actually jumps into contention for a 10-day contract. And a hardship exception as well. Because they are still eligible for it. From what I know, they still have not asked permission from the league for this exemption. They didn't ask for one until the later stages of last year, even though they had it available for over a month to that point when they uh, got that grant through. If they were to get one, Olivier Saar is their option. For healthy players, he's the guy that you would want to bring up because he's familiar, because he's able to shoot from distance as well. You need a seven-footer on your squad right now. You have Mike Muscala. You have Jalen Williams. But if one of them goes down again, you're gonna need to you're you're gonna need to look towards other options, and that's Olivier Sar uh, with the OKC Blue. I'm assuming that he'll get the starting gig if he's still with the team in a week or so. Noah Starkey, he's been their fill-in starting center, but that's really due to necessity because Wilson is out. He's done a pretty good job though in what has been. Uh, kind of short notice for him. So he has been doing himself uh, a pretty good job. Jemias Ramsey's who I want to wrap it up with. He's still injured. And he was averaging over 20 points per game before this injury. He was one of the top dogs in the G League. 
And when you look at who would have been an all-star contention for G-Leaguers, he would have been in the thick of it right now. Currently, the G-League has their voting open for their all-stars. They're going to have 24 G-League players compete at All-Star Weekend this year, NBA All-Star Weekend, which I think is great. This is something that I'm so happy they're going to be putting them back on the big stage, but... You can vote some in right now. Ten players come from fan vote. The others are going to come inside organizations. I've already put in my ballot right now. I can tell you, um, I personally put down Xavier Simpson, Sharif Cooper, Kenny Lofton, Lucas Samanak, and Reggie Perry. I put Lofton on there. I know he's a two-way guy, um, but he's just been so dominant. I think he's earned it. Xavier Simpson's leading the G League in assists right now, and he's averaging 18 points while doing it. That is an all-star player. And even outside of him, Rob Baker, who was on the OKC Thunder Summer League squad, last guy off the bench for them, has been averaging like 15 points per game, shooting ridiculous numbers from three. So very great stuff coming out of Lakeland with some of the OKC Thunder slash Blue alumni. Pivoting over to the OKC Thunder side of things, they have also had themselves a pretty interesting start to the calendar year. They're 3-2 in 2023. Overall, they are 19-23, which still has them out of playoff or play-in contention, but the Western Conference is so jam-packed right now, if they get on a hot streak, they're going to be on the inside of everything. They're going to be the fifth seed. They're going to be living life pretty well. And they've had a couple of seismic wins this past week that would signal they're trending upwards. Statistics also back it when you're looking from last year to this season. I want to discuss three games out of the five they've had this year. And we're going to start it out January 3rd against the Boston Celtics. OKC comes into this one without Shea Gilgis-Alexander. So for Boston, they have Jason Tatum. They have Jalen Brown. This should be an easy win for the best team in the NBA. Could not be any further from the truth. Individually, both Brown and Tatum had good games. Jalen Brown was dominant to begin this contest. He finished with 29 and Tatum at 27. But what about everybody else? Really nothing to talk about. I mean, this was a complete domination. This was what I would say is the best Thunder game they have had in three years. OKC wins 150 to 117 franchise record for the OKC Thunder era. You kick it back to Seattle. They had a 154 point game, but in the Thunder era, new franchise record set without your top player. Everybody was on the same page from the get go in this one. And when you looked up at the scoreboard at the end of three, there was not much to say. I was in attendance for this one, and I look up at the scoreboard. They have 120 on the board in the third quarter. I had to, like, rub my eyes, think about a lot of stuff, because them having that many points in the third quarter, ridiculous. You just don't see it. And then they end up getting 150. So, <laughs> you know, it was... um it was quite a night for them, and if you want to dig into the history books, I'm sure you could find like 10 or 15 different accolades potentially out of what happened here. Top to bottom, though, 
I mean, there were really no complaints. Aaron Wiggins had himself a very productive night. I know that he has been bouncing between the starting unit and the bench. Last December, he was moved into the starting power forward spot when Bays was kind of relegated to the bench. He dominated. He went 7 of 8 in this game. And he was one of the big reasons as to why they had 48 points in the third quarter. That's another franchise record for them as well. Putting up 48 in the third. Come on. I mean, anything that they looked at was going in in that frame. I'll pull up the numbers just um, just to give you some added context here. But the basket looked like it was the ocean. They shot 19 of 28 in that quarter, 8 of 11 from downtown. Josh Giddy 3 of 4 from distance. He had 17 points in that quarter. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Just reliving it is um, it's something for sure. If you were watching that one live, you knew that was a journey. And that was um, a very great experience, I would imagine, as a fan. They ended up shooting just about 60% from the floor in this game. 20 of 40 from distance. And they even left 8 points at the free throw line. Was not particularly impressive from there. 14 of 22. But it really didn't matter. Five different guys scored 20 or more in this game. J-Dub had 21. Lou Dort had 23. Giddy with 25. Isaiah Joe finished with 21 points. And Trey Mann had 21 points as well. What a combination you have there. And even outside of that. Wiggins with his 17 and Williams going 3 of 6, starting center, by the way. Kenrich Williams against Al Horford. 10 points, 5 rebounds, and 3 assists. Amazing game from him. And the thing that I want to add about this, when you have that second unit of Man and Joe both firing on all cylinders, I think you're going to win the game. That's just one of those wild card factors. I know last year I kind of came up with the idea that SGA has a couple different boxes that he needs to tick. If he fits two out of three, you're looking pretty good. If he gets all three, you're winning the basketball game. Normally what it came down to was if he was able to find success from distance. And right now, I mean, he really hasn't shot threes, but it's worked out very well for him. I think the X factor this year, if you're adding one of those check marks, it's if Trey Mann and Isaiah Joe are working in unison. They worked in unison in this game It looked like there was a whole orchestra going on. I mean, you had all the different pieces just working in harmony, getting what was a dominant, dominant win for this group. So that was a momentum builder. Obviously, um, you know, it, it wasn't smooth sailing to five consecutive wins. They've had to battle back. SGA comes back. They end up falling in a game. Um, and then up falling two games ago, against the Miami Heat in what was historic in multiple different you know ways. For the OKC Thunder, they end up snapping what was over a year of nationally televised absence. If you talk about the Summer League, it's different because you have Chet Holmgren on this roster. You had Josh Giddy a couple years back. You're going to get airtime on those ones but if you take that out you're just looking strictly at the regular season and postseason last time they played september of 2020 against the houston rockets this is before chris paul was off the team we're talking so for them to make this appearance completely 
different landscape for this Thunder organization, but trending upwards nonetheless. I already mentioned it last time before that was the Winter Showcase Cup with the OKC Blue. So I'm not going to be able to use that fact anymore. I'm a little disappointed about that, but they are now on another page. They're going to be on national television plenty more times. I'm sure next year, it's a guarantee. With Chet Holmgren joining this team, plus whatever they get over the offseason, yeah, they're going to be on national television, and that's going to be that. So so they get their opportunity against the Miami Heat. No Bam Adebayo in this rotation. No Tyler Hero. This is a battle-scarred Heat team when you're making your debut back to TNT. So this is where you can make that big-time statement. And they made a statement, a, a positive one. They still end up in the losing column. 112 to 111 and an absolute heartbreaker the free throw line just did it all for this one okc 14 of 21 at the line you could have done better there on the other side miami goes 40 of 40 from the free throw line nba record for best free throw performance not free throws made in a game but perfection at the line you have never seen someone break into the 40s 39 was the previous record jimmy butler ends up setting the record in an and one and what was the final score of this game when jimmy put that free throw down 112 111 you're left with about eight seconds left okc can find a shot here sga takes a step back three at the right wing short scramble for the loose ball they call a tie up with 0.8 seconds left and they weren't able to make anything of it sga taking that three people are going to criticize it people are going to say it's not a high quality shot the way that sga was playing probably not the best choice he could have driven to the basket tried to absorb contact he is known for getting foul calls around the rack this game was not the best towards him he only had seven attempts in this one but nonetheless, he's a lethal scorer to where he could have got that layup to go down. He could have kicked the ball out. Changes the dynamics of that final play for sure. But you cannot be upset because there have been times, you can go two years back even, to where SGA has hit clutch shots coming off of step back threes at the end of games. So I'm not concerned about this at all. I'm not concerned that this was a loss for them. This was a really excellent game, if anything. They had a lot more players at their disposal. Miami, they had that shortened rotation, but they still had some very high caliber players going back and forth with them. Max Struess had 22 in this game, lethal three-point shooter. Gabe Vincent was silenced. He still had himself a night, and Victor Oladipo actually stepped up big time defensively for them to pick up this win, but Jimmy Butler takes the cake. 35 points, 23 of 23 at the free throw line. Nonsense. It's unbelievable, um, <laughs> kind of just digesting how all that went down, but yeah, Jimmy was great, and I want to give a nod to Jamal Kane as well, because he came off a two-way deal, gets the call-up, so um, so did Orlando Robinson, who started this game, so these are two two-way guys, so to make a big-time contribution, and Kane goes for 12 points, five rebounds, and three assists, Hits one of the clutchest shots in this game. Right corner triple. Pinned up against the OKC Thunder bench. And he silenced them. If you remember my draft coverage. 
you know that I was on the Jamal Cain train. I mean, he played, when he was on Oakland, he played at Gallagher Iba Arena in Stillwater, and he was the best player from that game. And, you know, there's multiple factors to it. He was taking tons and tons of shots around the basket, but he was going up against seven footers, rising up with his turnaround jumper and yielding a ton of success. So when I saw that, I was intrigued. When you look at his film from Oakland and Marquette, you know that there's an NBA player inside there. Personally, I thought um, he was going to be an Exhibit 10 guy, undrafted, probably having to climb the ranks up, talk to his agent about it as well. And that's kind of what the consensus was, that he wasn't going to be picked. He wasn't picked, but he goes to the Miami Heat, who has just probably a top three, if not the top lineage in getting guys from the G League that turn into studs. And he looks to be on that path right now. Great score. Amazing feel for cutting offensively. And he did this in the preseason against Brooklyn. He did it again against the Thunder. Super impressed and super happy to see him be successful in this one. On the other side, though, OKC still had really good moments in this game. SGA, even without what has been his X factor at the foul line, 26 points on the game, 9 of 18 shooting, 2 of 4 from 3 as well, 2 of 3 if you X out that final possession, Josh Giddy, 18 points, 15 rebounds, 10 assists, mark it up, that's a triple-double, 8 of 18 shooting to get there as well, Kenrich Williams off the bench, 13 points on 6 of 8 shooting, efficiency off the charts, and how about J-Dub, 12 points and 5 assists, Two steals to go along with it on five of nine shooting. Insane assist from him. And I think it was the second or third quarter. Lob attempt his way. He catches it midair. Still midair at the apex of his jump. Slings the ball to the right corner for a three-point attempt. Don't think he got the assist on that play. But my goodness, the athleticism from him. It's sneaky. But it's electric. Like, is he going to be posterizing two people in a game? He probably could, but you wouldn't expect that from him. The hops don't suggest it, but he's capable. Mid-air passes. Do you expect it? First glance, no. But he's capable of it. He's capable of so much on this basketball court. And he has been the X factor as to why they have improved so much. I was the only person that I... I I know I didn't see this from any other mock draft. I didn't see this from any other other analyst that had Jalen Williams going 12 to the Thunder. And the reason I had that was because I thought he was the best fit at that pick for the Oklahoma City Thunder. I think that's unanimous. He was the best pick uh, for them at 12. And he's been viewed as a steal after this because of how versatile he is. Off the ball, he's low maintenance. He'll take a catch and shoot three. He'll slash the basket. But... If you don't have those immediate options from Josh Giddy or SGA, kick it out to him at the wing. He's able to play make for himself or play make for others. Multiple different drives from him coming from the wing in this game and their previous game against the 76ers where I was super impressed with him and he's done it all season long. He could play two through four for them defensively, two through four positionally as well. These are the types of players that you need, and I really can't think of in recent memory any player like him that is suited up in a Thunder jersey. He's going to be a problem for a long time, and he is 
really just some glue to what SGA and Josh Giddy can bring to the table, especially when Josh Giddy's shooting 35% from three. But they pick up that loss. I think if you're a Thunder fan, you're happy with that. This 76ers game, you're very excited with what the result ended up being. 76ers, they've been a top team in the league. No two ways about it. Joel Embiid, still in the MVP conversation as he's been the last couple of seasons. And they don't have really anybody hurt in this one. You have James Harden, you have Tyrese Maxey, Tobias Harris, everybody's there. This is the full starting five. And OKC has SGA back, really everybody back except for the front court issues they've been having to deal with all month. OKC takes it right to them. And the 76ers had some swings, but they were down for the count. And they end up losing this game by 19 points. 133 to 114 for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Everyone got in on the action in this. And Jalen Williams out of Arkansas had himself a day. 11 points and 5 rebounds for the rookie. Even at a charge on Joel Embiid. One of the big reasons to why they won. Joel was just in foul trouble this entire game. A lot of people were in foul trouble on both sides here. Including Williams who had 5 fouls. But he was doing it all. I mean he hit a 3 pointer. He had a Dr. J-esque layup where he's going reverse around the world. Palming the basketball in his hand for this layup. I mean that's ridiculous from your center and he brought so much more with the energy i think energy is the best word to describe this thunder group not just this game but this year sga hustling his tail off 37 points 16 of 16 at the free throw line you thought it was a problem in miami not a problem in the city of brotherly love i mean he was excellent outside of him as well josh giddy five of five at the free throw line 20 points and eight assists for him how about J-Dub, 14 points, 6 of 11, 2 of 3 from distance. The efficiency from those three have been insane. Kenrich Williams as well, 3 of 5. And then here's where I go into the X-Factors again. Trey Mann and Isaiah Joe off the bench. If you're able to get one of those guys hot, it's going to be a problem for the opposition. Trey Mann, 14 points in 18 minutes, 5 of 9. And he had a moment for about 3 minutes in this game where he was the scariest player on the court. Entire game, those were the scariest three minutes if you're a Philadelphia 76er because he was hitting anything that he looked at and then he calmed a bit down. But when he is able to lock in from distance, you have to watch out because he is scary with dribble moves. The step back creates a lot of space and he can still drive inside if he would like to as well. So the three-level scoring was on display. Isaiah Joe in his return a little bit quieter, 0 of 4 from distance, but he still had 7 points because he was able to get to the free throw line. And they went 31 of 33 in this game. Kind of a complete flip from what the issue was in Miami. Joel Embiid, 27 minutes, still had 30 points and 10 rebounds. This was no shock. Like, when you look at the 76ers on paper and the Oklahoma City Thunder, it's the front court that is going to be trumped. That's why... The Thunder would lose, and when you're playing an MVP guy like Embiid, it makes sense why you would lose. Because he got in foul trouble, you didn't get to see it to its fullest extent. Insanely efficient night for him, 10 of 17, 10 of 10 from the free throw line, but what if he was able to play just five more minutes? This is a completely different ball game that you're talking about. What if he didn't have four fouls in the third quarter? Completely different game. 
It turned into a contest of can James Harden, Tyrese Maxey, these other types of contributors change the game for them. Ultimately, they were not. And they ended up throwing the towel in to where Paul Reed was the sneaky guy off the bench for them. Um, And Paul Reed's great. If you remember my G League coverage, him and Moses Brown were like the top two guys in the G League bubble. So him getting a little bit of run was a, a nice little cherry on top for how I viewed the game and kind of what I was looking for in the rotations. OKC, though, they move on to play the Chicago Bulls tonight. Both teams, 19 and 23. And this is a really good test for them, I believe, because it's not just what you might have in the front court battle. Nikola Vucevic can do some damage. He's done it to the past uh, to this team. But guys like DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, they're able to be electric as well uh, to where you have to be covered really on all facets to take the victory in this game. Both of these teams very well could be above 500, and I don't think you bat an eye because roster-wise, they're very, very talented. I know that you're not going to see DeMar DeRozan due to injury, right? But even with guys like Zach Levine and Nikola Vucevic, it's a really good team that you're going to be, you know, faced up against. On the other side, SGA, he's a top 10 player in this league right now, number 10 on the MVP ladder. And the supporting cast has been on a roll. You cannot put your guard down against this Thunder squad. We'll see what happens when the Bulls take on the Thunder. I'll give you guys coverage on that one. And I'll keep you guys posted on the games to follow. But that's going to do it for today's episode, guys. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.